And yeah, 180, my name's Clay. I, uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm an OU grad. I graduated in 2012 with a degree in education. So if your major is math, you can, you can do the math on uh, how long I've been out of school and how old I am at this point. Um, but <laughs> and I've been serving with crew since 2014, and I've been here at my alma mater. I love OU, I love Athens. And let me tell you, it's one of the first places where I think I ever truly felt like I was home. And so I love getting to be here and getting to be with you all each and every week. But I also love getting to be here with my family, and I want to introduce them to you because they're so important to me. And so there we go. Uh, so that's my wife, Emily. Uh, we met as students here at OU, and uh, honestly, life's never been the same in the best way possible. Um, because she's way funnier than me, she's way smarter than me, and she's way prettier than me. And guys, just figure, it, figure that out if you haven't yet. Um, and we have two kids together. Uh, Judah is three. He's the guy, little guy in the middle there. And Elliot is five, and he's on the right. And they're pretty typical boys, very high energy, very uh, kind of all over the place at times, uh, but that's honestly what adds to so much of the fun in my day-to-day -day life. Some of the stress too, but you expect that. So um, yeah, but if you see them anywhere around campus or uh, at the grocery store or wherever, please don't feel like you have to be awkward. You can say, hey, you don't know me, but I've seen your picture. Uh, <laughs> so go ahead and do that. Make it as uncomfortable as you like. It'll be okay. Uh, they'll have grace. Well, I don't know if Elliot will. Emily will have a lot of grace for you. So um, anyway, but yeah, that's my family. Um, please, you know, please make yourselves uh, known to them if you see them. They would love to meet you. Well, tonight, uh, I want to spend a few minutes just talking about what it looks like to truly walk with Jesus. And we're not looking at a gospel narrative tonight like we have the last couple weeks, but instead, we're going to be turning to a letter. This letter was written to a group of Jewish Christians who were dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, most likely, uh, undergoing some sort of persecution or just enduring hardship for their faith. And the writer, we don't know who, who this person was, but the message is really clear. The writer is trying to communicate the greatness of Jesus. He's sharing that Jesus is of far more value than anything they could gain from walking away, and he's far greater than they could even think he is. So tonight, I, just to let you know where we're going, we're going to see that Jesus is our intercessor, that he gets us, he's enough for us, and that we can go to him. So if you have a Bible with you, you're welcome to open it to Hebrews chapter 4. We will start in verse 14. You can also open on your phone, or we will have the verses on the screen. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible at all, I'm just going to plug the resource table again real quick. Go grab one at the end of 180. Uh, would love for you to have one. All right, here we go. Verse 14. The writer says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. All right, so I'm going to ask for a little audience participation here. Raise your hand if you know back then what a high priest was. Okay, there's like a couple hands here or there, and I'm, I, okay, all right. And if you, most of you don't, and that's perfectly okay, because um, we just don't have that kind of context now. But essentially, the high priest was the highest religious office 
in the Jewish faith and all of the nation of Israel. His job was to make sacrifices on behalf of the sins of the people. So essentially, you could argue he was a middleman. He's an intercessor. He's, rep- he's kind of representing the people before the God of the universe. And while a man named Aaron was the first high priest in Israel's history, uh, you may know a little more his brother Moses, who is one of the first examples of someone who regularly acted as an intercessor on behalf of the people. If you've ever read the Exodus story or anything like that, they're wandering through the wilderness and they're griping. We were better off in slavery. Uh, There's no food. Uh, Let's make a golden calf. All kinds of stuff. And yet Moses consistently goes before God and basically asks him for not to abandon them due to their sin. And God listens. Now, one of the things I want to emphasize is that every time we sin... Imagine like some, you've, you've either wronged someone terribly, rejected somebody, or someone's done that to you. And every time we sin, we're essentially doing that to God. We're telling him that we do not need him, that our wants and desires are more important than the eternal good life that he offers us. And so anytime you want to restore fellowship, sometimes, I mean, sometimes you need an intercessor. Sometimes you need a mediator so that you can have relationship reconciled, restored. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us. He is trying to tell us that Jesus, the Son of God, who is in the heavens, has passed through the heavens, is our intercessor. He is that person for us. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 5 that we are reconciled to God through the death of his Son. And Jesus even goes so far as to call himself the way, the truth, and the life. And we receive this life because he intercedes for us. Now, don't, I, I don't want you to be mistaken about this. It's not that Jesus is kind of like, you know, hey, Father, would you, um, could you forgive these people over here? Would, would that be all right? Uh, no, it is the Father's will to listen to, this son, to his Son intercede for us. We have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're three distinct persons, and yet they are of the same, made of the same stuff, so to speak. They're of the same will, essence, and move in the same direction. Now, this is where, this is where I think it gets good. I love verse 15. The writer continues on, we do, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And I want to focus for a couple of minutes on the sympathizing with us and our weakness. Because to love someone, it's going to require, it's going to require empathy and sympathy at d- different times. Sympathy, it requires a willingness and the ability to see something from someone else's perspective, right? It requires you to understand where they're coming from, walk a mile in their shoes, so to speak. And I, could, I bet you have had many moments in your life where you've wanted sympathy from someone and didn't get it. I want to preface what I'm about to tell you, because uh, this story involves my, my dad, that my dad was a good dad, or he certainly tried hard to be a good dad. But as you can imagine, you know, dads make mistakes. I make mistakes with my kids all the time. And so I just want to make clear that this doesn't color who I think how I think of him. But 
this happened when I was 11 years old. We were driving down the road. Um, my dad was driving my brother and I home from school. And I don't remember what he was getting on us about. There was something we failed to do. I was probably, it was some sort of chore we failed to do or didn't do well, something like that. And, you know, I did what a pretty typical whiny 11-year-old would do, which is after you hear that for a couple of your minutes, like, well, I'm sorry, I'm trying my best over here. Like, you know, kind of just like, hey, I, I'm trying over here. Get, give me something. Um, and I'll never forget his response because it was simply this. Well, your best isn't good enough. And I also want to say I know that he did not mean for this comment to do what it did. Because many other times in my life, he told me he was proud of me or that he would thank me for a job well done, things like that. And he did that way more than he said things like this. But that line just cut right through me. And I think it cut through me because it came at a not great time. My parents had divorced a couple years prior and there was just this, they had both had new people in their lives. And so I was trying to figure out how do I meet expectations or how do I not disappoint all these new people, right? Like I wanted people to like me. I wanted to get along well. But these words cut me so hard that I remember where the car was on the road. And that's been a long time ago and I remember it clear as day. But I wanted sympathy and I got something else instead. And unfortunately, while this didn't do everything to impact how I saw God, it did change how I saw God to some degree for a really long time. Because I saw him as this distant, far-off figure who demanded perfection and was unable or unwilling to understand me. And in my mind, how could he? He's an infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe. And what am I? I'm flesh and bone. My view of my heavenly father was shaped in part by this mistake of my earthly father. Now, here's the good news I want to tell you all, and the writer of Hebrews has good news for us. We got Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He's fully God, and yet he puts on human flesh. He steps in, becomes man. He's humbly born in a stable to a young teenage woman and a carpenter, he, eats, he needs to eat like you and I do. He has to walk to get places. He becomes tired or exhausted or sick. He even has bodily functions like you and I do that we don't talk about in mixed company, right? And yet he understands all of this. He understands human weakness because he's lived it. He's lived it. Jesus sympathizes with us. Now, just... I didn't understand this when I'm 11 years old. And so in the years that followed, it uh, didn't matter if it was my schoolwork, chores, sports, whatever, I regularly could not get over the idea that my best wasn't good enough, that I could not meet expectations. I was destined to fail. And so in the years after, what do you do when you can't think you can't please anybody? You try to lower the bar as far as you can, right? And the reason why was because, well, if for some reason I didn't meet that bar, well, I didn't have to try very hard to jump over it in the first place, right? It's a lot easier to not take it so personally. I was trying to protect myself. But I just still felt this inevitability of failure. It led to me not being very motivated in my life and all kinds of things. And I remember coming to college 
in the fall of 2008, and I was directionless. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, came in, yet didn't know what I wanted to major in even yet at that point. And so I came to OU completely unsure of my future. But thankfully, this was where God met me. I would have never sought out a Bible study on my own, mostly because lack of, you know, not because I wasn't interested, I kind of was, but I just, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know where I would start. I didn't, I didn't want to reach out to people. But uh, a person in my high school who came here, like randomly reached out to me and invited me. I barely talked to this person when we were in high school together. But I got involved in crew, went to a Bible study, grew to enjoy it, and grew to enjoy the people. And um, eventually at the end of 2009, I went to Crew's Winter Conference in Indianapolis. And it was the first full day there. It was in the morning session. There was this long talk about sin and confession. And so what, what the... Oh, geez. <laughs> Didn't mean to lose that. What the speaker did was he put this list just like one at a time, like imagine one of these screens right here. And about every 10 to 15 seconds, there would be a word. It'd be like a, a sin or mistake, something to that effect. About every 10 to 15 seconds, it would stay there, just long enough for you to see it, read it, and kind of like digest it. And then it would move on to another one. And this went on for a while. So naturally, I didn't feel like I'd committed all of them, certainly, but I began to feel the weight of more and more of them. Because at that point, I'd heard that Jesus died for sin. I understood that intellectually. But I'd lowered the bar so far for myself, I really didn't think I needed saving. But then suddenly, I felt the weight of it all. And I felt the weight of not being enough again. And I felt it in a way I'd never felt it before in terms of intensity. But thankfully, the reminder from the speaker was that Jesus is enough. And that's the writer's reminder for us as well. If we see that in every respect, he's been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He not only sympathizes with us, he, he knows what we walk through. He knows the pressure of temptation. He knows the stakes when we sin, that we are, cutting God, we are basically cutting off our relationship with God. He knows the cost of that. And yet he never folded. He never sinned himself. Uh, Dane Ortland, he puts it like this in his book, Gentle and Lowly, and he's talking about this. C.S. Lewis, who's a Christian philosopher, talking about temptation. He says, Lewis made this point by speaking of a man walking against the wind. Once the wind of temptation gets strong enough, the man lies down, giving in, and thus not knowing what it would have been like 10 minutes later. Jesus never lay down. He endured all of our temptations and testings without ever giving in. He therefore knows the strength of temptation better than any of us. Only he truly knows the cost. Friends, Jesus is enough. That's all there is to it. And I remember that morning, it was December 29th, 2009, and for the first time in my life, I no longer felt like my options were disappoint people or lower expectations enough. And I finally understood that my value, my worth with people, and that my standing before God, those weren't up to me. My value was given to me by God, and being enough was up to Jesus, not me.
It was that day that I learned that Jesus is the one who, who understood me, who, and he knows and understands all of you. And it was that day that I learned Jesus wasn't just a person the world needed, he was a person I needed and still need. And so as we get into verse 16, the writer brings it home. He says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus, the writer is imploring the reader to draw near to Jesus and not sheepishly again. We're not, ask, we're not over here like, Jesus, how you doing, buddy? Um, I cheated on that test. Um, do you think he could talk to the big guy for me? No, what he says is, no, what he says is go before him confidently to receive grace in time of need. Whether we're struggling, whether when we don't know where to turn, it doesn't matter if you've believed in Jesus for a day, if you have your whole life, or maybe you are debating whether that's a decision you want to make or not. We can draw near to Jesus with confidence. Because it's through Jesus that we find our help, our security, the mercy and grace we need, and he gets us, he understands us. And yet I also want to emphasize, he does not excuse our sin. He already dealt with it on the cross. And the great thing too is that he sees us in our sin and it doesn't make him look away. He wants us to come find our rest in him. One of my favorite verses, it's in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And at the, toward the end of that passage, he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's asking us to leave our burdens at his feet and take on his burden, which is a non-burden. So if, you're, if you've never chosen to follow Jesus, maybe, I don't know, you might be feeling tonight like I felt all those years ago. I don't know. But I'm sure some of you have struggled to approach the throne of grace because maybe you felt unworthy of it or you're afraid that to commit to it because you wouldn't, you know, because you're not sure you would continue on in it. I'm a millennial. I think we invented not committing to things, so you're not alone. But I can say that every time I've needed it, Jesus has given me a great deal of grace and mercy in my times of need. And he's enough regardless of whether you or I think he is. Jesus is enough. So why can't tonight be the night where you approach the throne of grace and ask for it from the one who understands you, the one who's walked through your shoes, the God-man who intimately knows human weakness and yet overcomes it? The writer of Hebrews in chapter 7 says this later on. He says, He is able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Know this, trusting, when you trust in Jesus, your sin can never outrun the grace of God. And if you already follow Jesus, it can be easy to forget that he's intercessing for us, that he, under, he, that he understands human weakness, he sympathizes with us, or that he is enough for us. Sometimes we forget those things. And that can be either because of sin or because just the general chaos of life can create this fog that makes it hard to see in front of you. 
Like if you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you just get super foggy and you can only see about from maybe me to the front row here, right? And you're just trying not to wreck the car. For me, 2022 was like that. Um, I'd become overwhelmed by the amount of things on my plate. Uh, my younger son, Judah, he was sick for like three or four weeks, basically, uh, was in the hospital, and that was awful. I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, so that was fun. And then the icing on the cake was my dad died. But it was, in that mo- it was in during that time that it was very difficult to see clearly. Just kind of this haze, this fog felt like it hung over me. But that moment, I, I just tried to remember what God had done in my life and tried to see this picture of Jesus clearly, even though I couldn't see him right in front of me. And thankfully, this fog did lift. So if you have already trusted Christ in this room, I just want to share this with you, to tell you, to encourage you to endure, to continue to approach the throne of grace to receive it. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because he's the one who provides us grace. So whether you follow Jesus already or not, I want you to remember that whatever your trouble, your struggle, whatever it is, you can kneel before the cross and leave your burdens at his feet. He will give you the rest you need and he will meet your needs. And he already knows and understands what you need. He intercedes for us. He understands and sympathizes with us. And he's enough for us. So go to him. Let me pray for us. Thanks to our listeners for tuning into this episode of the 180 Podcast, a production of Crew in Southeast Ohio. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like, a share, or leave an encouraging comment, and that will go a long way toward helping others hear about the podcast. The podcast isn't the only thing that we do. Whether you're a student living on campus or if you're still at home studying virtually, we'd encourage you to check us out on social media to hear more about what's going on. You can follow us on Instagram at crew at OU, or to learn more about who we are and what we do, head over to our website, crew at OU.org. We'd encourage you if you visit the site to complete our involvement form to get more connected to all the things that are happening. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next Thursday for another episode of the 180